0: Today in the, uh, in the places that we get our news from, we've got so many choices of sources. And if you pay attention to the reporting of any news source, you're going to be struck by two things. The first is that you'll be struck by uh, what particular news a given source reports on. And you'll be struck by what a particular source doesn't report on. Perhaps contrary to popular belief, uh, history is not everything that's happened in the past. If that was history, there would be no such word as prehistoric. And prehistoric refers to those times before history was written down. And uh, in fact, if you want to study the past before history, you need to go to paleontology to do that. But history is information about the past that has been recorded. And what isn't said, what isn't written, what isn't seen, is as important as what is. I'm going to read today from John's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 16 through 22 the short passage i think about the shortest account in the gospels of the death of jesus we've seen him before pilate and now we read finally pilate handed him over to be crucified so the soldiers took charge of jesus and carrying his own cross He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. I have written. Father, as we uh, ponder this account today, the events of which they tell us, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that Spirit which was poured out upon your church at Pentecost. Fill us with that Spirit and help us to respond in faith. We ask it, Father, in the name of the one who we see displayed before us here. Amen. What isn't said, what isn't written, what isn't seen is as important as what is. Look at, for example, what John says and what he doesn't. John's account, you know, if you read the Gospels, John's account is, is different than Matthew's account, different than Luke's account, different than Mark's account. In fact, John's Gospel is the most different of all the Gospels. For time out of mind, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have been referred to as the synoptic Gospels, those who tell the story in the same light, synoptic. But, but John's Gospel is different. Jesus is often portrayed in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, speaking to the crowds. John tells us of those individual encounters that Jesus has had. And it's interesting to note the things that John's gospel doesn't record. John doesn't mention Simon from Cyrene being forced to carry the cross of Jesus. John doesn't mention the wine mixed with gall that was offered to Jesus before the crucifixion. John doesn't mention the repenting insurrectionist on the cross next to Jesus. You know, the differences in those gospels were known to the early church. Well, of course they were. And the four gospels were recognized as canon, as the Word of God. There are four different perspectives on what happened a fourfold God perspective. In the second century, there was a man by the name of Tatian of Syria who wrote a work called the Diatessaron. That word simply means through the four. And uh, what the Diatessaron was, was essentially a harmony of the Gospels. Maybe you've seen those sometimes. There'll be a harmony of the Gospels, uh, something that takes the recorded events of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and tries to lay out more or less what really happened. And people will say to me sometimes, they'll ask me, What's a good harmony of the Gospels to get? My answer to them is always the same. Um, None. Read the four Gospels that God has given us. Because the idea of that harmony is that we're going to take those events and what we're going to do is we're going to arrive at what really happened. Matthew tells us a little bit of what really happened and uh, Mark and Luke and John, but we need to put those together and we need to arrive at what really happened. The implication of that, it's a subtle implication, but the implication of it is that the canonical gospels are deficient in their approach. Tatian was eventually condemned of heresy, it was an unrelated heresy, but copies of his diatessaron were uh, rounded up, they'd made their way into the churches, some of them were being used in the churches, and they were rounded up, and they were destroyed That was a loss for historical studies, but it was to the church's great benefit. The four Gospels contain four perspectives, and they are deliberate in what they include and deliberate in what they exclude. The accounts of these Gospels are historically accurate But they are not and do not seek to be historically exhaustive. They don't seek to tell us everything that happened. In fact, Elder Tim mentioned today uh, what John writes in uh, chapter 21 and verse 25 at the end of this gospel. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books That would be written. The accounts are historically accurate. They do not seek to be historically exhaustive. And so the Gospels are not brute fact, they don't pretend to be some objective history, but each of these Gospels tells a story, it has a point. And John's perspective is unique. It's striking that John is the only of Jesus' disciples who was near the cross. If the others observed this event, they observed it from a distance. They'd fled. The men had all fled. But John, at this point, follower of Jesus though he was, was barely a man, he was still a boy. And so he was able to stay with the women who were at the cross of Jesus, at the foot of the cross of Jesus. It's noteworthy as well that John's gospel is the last of the gospels to be written. The others had gone into greater detail about Jesus' crucifixion. And John knew those accounts. His readers knew those accounts. And although John's gospel records in detail personal encounters with Jesus that people had that the other gospel writers leave out, John's account of the crucifixion is the least detailed. It's as though John, having been there, having witnessed it so close, can't, can't bear to go through it again and to recount it again. John laser focuses his account. He gets through things very quickly. Jesus carries the cross to the place of his execution. Two others are crucified with him. And he focuses us on this, that Pilate affixes upon the cross a title that is in fact a uh, a cognate of the Greek word that's used here that comes from the Latin word, a title. It's a Hellenized version of a Latin word. That title indicated the broken law that brought the criminal to the cross. See, it was impossible, although you'd probably have a sense, impossible to know all of the things, maybe all the subtleties of Roman law, but you could know the serious ones because those who were crucified would have what law they broke nailed up over the tops of their heads. John's account is different. It's briefer than Matthew's or Mark's or Luke's. Leaves out a lot of detail. And in so doing it, laser focuses us upon this title above Jesus' head. And there was a sign written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek, a title prepared and fastened to the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Consider what Pilate writes and what he doesn't. The charge was insurrection. It was the same charge that Barabbas was accused of and was guilty of that he would have been tried for. The same thing that the two men who were crucified with Jesus had been tried and condemned for. Pilate could have simply written insurrectionist up over the head of Jesus. I don't know what he wrote over the head of the other two men, but it was likely something just like that. You don't need to go into uh, all the legal details, just simply tell what the person is, what the crime is that they're dying for. But on Jesus' cross, he has a title written, and it says, Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews. It was a dig at the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders for trapping Pilate into crucifying Jesus. And we looked at that a few weeks ago when we looked at the situation. Politically, Pilate His back was against the wall. Politically, Pilate had no choice. He would have surely lost his position had he not crucified Jesus, if not his life, if the Sanhedrin had denounced him to Emperor Tiberius for allowing someone claiming to be king to go free. Politically, Pilate had no choice. And, you know, we hear those things today. We'll hear people say, well... So-and-so, his back was against the wall. He had no choice. Let me tell you something, my friends. Morally, people always have a choice. And we're always responsible to make the right choice. Pilate didn't make the right choice. He failed morally. Morally. But though may, he may be compelled to this execution, he won't be compelled to change the charge written there. King was their allegation. That's what they had said of him, what he was claiming. And if it mocks them, all the better. This is the end, the fate, the destiny. Of all Jewish kings. Rome will last forever. Let the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees be mocked and let them be warned. What did people see that day? Pilate saw an innocent man executed the victim of political maneuvering. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law saw themselves rid of a rival that day. Visitors to the city saw three criminals executed. Roman legionaries saw just another day's work. His disciples saw all their hopes and dreams crushed. His mother saw through bitter tears her son as a sword pierced her soul. What did God see that day? Consider what God sees and what he doesn't. God saw that they displayed the depths of human depravity. It was not pagan idolaters who caused this, but God's own people. In fact, the religious leaders of God's own people. John had told us at the very start of this gospel, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The people, the leaders who claimed to love God. Who when God stands before them in the flesh, they don't recognize him. Who when God stands before them in the flesh, their thought is, how can we get rid of him? And we see here the truth about so much religion then and now people who are inclined to religion, inclined to be religious, well, only a, a fool wouldn't fear God. If he has any understanding of all of who and what God is, but if God could somehow become weak, would we kill him? God saw displayed that day the depths Of human depravity. But God saw something else. Paul writes in Colossians 2 God forgave us all our sins. Having wiped out the charges against us, which had condemned us, He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You read God's word or you hear God's word read and your conscience prickles. The accuser of the brethren denounces and accuses you not with lies and false failings, but with ones that you know all too well are true. Where are your sins? Where are the charges against you? Can you see with the eyes of faith what God saw so plainly that day? Where are your sins? There they are, nailed up over the head of Jesus. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's what God saw that day. What doesn't God see? If you are in Christ, God sees no stain of sin upon you. He's taken it away. Every charge. Nailing it to the cross. It's your sin up over the head of Jesus. John would write in his first letter... He'd say, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what do you see and what don't you? Let me ask you, when you look at Jesus, what do you see? A moral guru, a religious teacher, an unfortunate victim of injustice? Or do you see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and who can take away your sin? Do you see the way, the truth, and the life to come to the Father? Do you see in Him the forgiveness of your sins? The cleansing from your sin? the progressing death of your sin what do you say do you trust him will you trust him will you commit yourself to him because if you are in Christ when God looks at him the crucified and risen Christ he sees your sins nailed to the cross if you're in Christ when God looks at you in him he's someone he sees someone who has the right to be called child of God can you see it? are you able to see it? Brother, grant us eyes, faith, to see what Jesus has done for us on that day. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone uh, here today or within the sound of my voice over the live stream who's not known the forgiveness of their sins, maybe been religious, but not, not known really the forgiveness of their sins, that, Father, that you'd help them to see what you've done in Christ, that, that their sins can be taken away, nailed to the cross. That, Father, you would increase the faith of all of us to trust him, And to give thanks to you, our great God, through Jesus our Lord. Amen.